Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to On the Bench. It's a special, well, it's an instant reaction podcast to Florida State scrimmage tonight. I have with me Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee of Knowles 247. Welcome, Brendan. How you doing? Are you saying that this isn't a special podcast? Well, I was going to call it an emergency podcast, but it's more of an instant reaction. It's a 1030 at night and I've been up since four o'clock in the morning kind of podcast. Haven't we all? <laughs> I'm good, Joshua. Thank you for asking. Hey, we didn't participate in the scrimmage. We just sat and watched Zoom and listened to Mike Norvell speak. So I think we can do this. Chris, you feeling all right? You feeling up to this? I've got energy here. I've only been <laughs> up for like 12 hours. All right, good. Um, today was FSU's first scrimmage, Saturday, Saturday evening. Um, they finished around 8.30 p.m., Mike Norvell addressed the media, as did the coordinators, about 9 p.m. Um, Brendan, what was your takeaway from hearing Mike Norvell speak after his first scrimmage at Florida State? He seemed pretty chipper for a first scrimmage. Uh, this is going to be shocking to you guys, but he thinks there's still things for FSU to work on. I know that's unique for a coach to, to think that there's still things to work on after a first scrimmage, but he did seem pleased. And I'll say this has been a consistent theme with Mike from the onset of preseason camp. I don't think there's been a whole lot of days where he hasn't liked the energy of the team. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, again, common today where he liked uh, some of the organizational aspects, especially the way the offense was getting plays in and out uh, and guys kind of knowing what they're supposed to do, generally speaking, given they didn't have much of a spring. He seemed to like the energy. He liked the physicality. So the baseline he seemed to be happy with. Now there is stuff to clean up. And, and as we've spoken to sources, uh, yeah, that, that's true, especially on offense. The defense is always going to be head of the offense at this point uh, in, in the curve. And, and I think Norvell pretty much indicated that today, that the offense had a lot to do and the defense seemed to to win the day. That's not a big surprise. So so generally speaking, though, I think he was pretty pretty pleased with the, the baseline of where his team's at right now. Yeah, fans always love to know who which side of the ball won the first scrimmage, and it's mm -hmm. it's almost always the defense. If it's not the defense, it's trouble in the first one. Yeah, Chris, first up from the coordinators we got to speak with was Adam Fuller. What do you think his takeaway from was from today? I thought the funniest thing from Fuller, he spoke to us for about 14 minutes. He uh, Somebody told him that Norvell had said the defense had been dominant through camp to this point, and he kind of – chuckled and said interesting adjective and then he kind of went into it I, I think the thing we've learned from him is they've kind of they figured out where some pieces fit they've started figuring out rotations at corner and safety you know guys who should be a safety guys who should be a corner mm -hmm. they like some of the young pieces Josh Griffiths came up on a D-line uh, DJ Lundy and Stephen Dix the linebackers were brought up specifically of young guys mm -hmm. and, and and now it's about pushing them it's about Having guys on the D-line perform great on later reps compared to the first, second, third rep. Having guys at linebacker do a better job on the edges, he praised what they did in the box as far as point of attack. Uh, having the secondary be better at getting the ball on the ground when plays are broken by the two units in front of them. 
that was something he wasn't pleased with today. So I thought his comments were very balanced. He, he heaped a lot of praise on a lot of parts of the defense, including some individual players, but he certainly feels like there's a hell of a lot more work to do. Yeah. Before we get to Dillingham, I want to ask you and, and Brendan, you can answer this as well. Coach Fuller mentioned quite a few players by name, but I'd say the majority of the players he mentioned by name were, were freshmen. How do you take that? Do you take that to mean like these guys are competing for starting jobs right now after this scrimmage or that they're more or less in as contributors? Well, he was asked specifically about freshmen at the end of his time. And that's when he brought up Griffiths, Lundy, Dix, for example. Um, I think it's more a matter of new pieces kind of flash at this time of year, either in a good way or in a way where you don't expect much of them from year one. And I think that's what today with a scrimmage that first time for a lot of those guys in a game situation in the stadium, in the college atmosphere. I think that's what brought that part of the conversation mm-hmm. up. But I, I think still, when you listen to them, there's a lot of veterans that they like, you know, there's some of those guys that are second year sophomores looking for a surge. A guy like Jarvis Brownlee certainly falls in that category. I thought the concluding comment he made today, which was essentially some guys have played in games have experience mm-hmm. but we need guys that have a winning drive and we need to keep driving that home i thought that was a fairly interesting comment from him and essentially the idea of it's all wide open for this team as a whole there's very few positions where guys are just 100 cemented into their role <coughs> excuse yeah. me there's and a whole that, lot of competition <laughs> there's a whole lot of competition and a whole lot of like we're going to put the best piece on the field based on what we see from basically the beginning of August to September 11th. Yeah. 12th. One, uh, one coach that was not, well, you're they're, they're not, so no, they're not going to practice on the 12th. They're going to play. So that's why I use the 11th. I know they play on the 12th. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> Can, real quick on Fuller. I was going to yeah. ask him, I started off the Adam Fuller press conference by asking about, Travis J because mm-hmm. Mike Norvell gushed about him and and Coach Woodson, the defensive backs coach, had spoken highly of Travis J earlier and heard that Travis had a really spectacular scrimmage. And so I started off asking about that. And then in hindsight, I probably should have just asked generally about the defense, but I raised my hand to ask another question. And by the time we got to me again to ask the question, it was very clear that Coach Fuller was not <laughs> super thrilled with some of the uh, the defensive effort, uh, or not effort, but just the organization of some parts. He talked about the coaching staff having a meeting immediately after the scrimmage to conduct, what was it, Chris, basically like the signals and the way that they're communicating as a staff. He seemed to be not super pleased with that. Yeah, he brought up the communication from the sideline into the play, the players' eyes, the way they were focused, the way things were done. He talked about needing to condense some of that and get a little more fine-tuned. He said they weren't behind, but they definitely have work in that department to do. He was the most, I thought, of the coaches who spoke today, maybe the most critical. Uh, not that he was angry, but he seemed to be the most critical of the coaches that we that we heard from today. But Adam Fuller also seems like a very direct guy, too. Uh, and I think we saw that come come to fruition this evening. All right, Chris, tell us about Kenny Dillingham, somebody that definitely was not tired coming off the field. <laughs> Yeah, Dilly's always a bucket full of energy. Um, I think he's pleased with where the offense stands, you know, basically a week in the camp. He said the quarterbacks handled the scrimmage setting well. Uh, he didn't want to speak specifically on guys. He was asked about Blackman. Instead, he talked about the quarterbacks as a whole. 
He said they've dumped a ton on their plates and now he just wants them to eat and see how much they can eat and how much they can handle. And in that regard, he's talking about taking everything they did at Memphis with the offense, the things they fine tuned from those times and that they're now trying to inject in these new guys. You know, he, uh, he talked about the running backs certainly seems to like that group. He talked about three guys. I think he was specifically talking about Jay Sean Corbin, Lawrence Tola Philly and, uh, Ja'Kai Douglas with regards mm-hmm. to the scrimmage. And then, you know, he didn't really talk a whole lot about receivers. We know some guys are missing from that group right now because of quarantine and whatnot. And then he was asked about the O-line, and he, he said they're trying to find the right fits there. You know, him and Coach Norville both spoke about the O-line. They're looking for the right five. They're hoping to have a total of eight they can really lean on. There's a whole lot of moving guys around. But in general, they like the group in a unison standpoint. They're working well together. There is a lot of effort there. They praised Coach Atkins and the job he's done. And he said, compared to spring practice day three when things were halted to today, it's night and day where the O-line is. That's not to say Mm -hmm. they're doing really well. It's just a matter of they are coming along. There is development. There is improvement that they can see. And I think they believe there's some promise there, and they're really trying to find that right five. But, uh, you know, Dilly's kind of always consistently the same. He just wants his guys to be better the next day than they were yesterday. And I think in general, he's pretty pleased with the offense and especially the quarterbacks in regards to having that desire to improve on a daily basis. Yeah, he was also really pleased with the communication. I thought that was kind of interesting, the stuff that he was saying about how much they dumped on the quarterbacks. He said at Memphis, they, they, they added a lot to the offense as the years went by. And now it's this, you know, um, very complex system that Mike Norvell runs. And he said, instead of piecing it together like they did at Memphis over the years, they just brought the whole thing to Florida State and put it on the quarterbacks. And it seems like it seems like they're picking it up pretty well, at least the communication portions of it. But Norvell specifically is trying to stress out his quarterbacks in some sense, Uh, not constantly, but and that goes with the playbook aspect, Josh, that you mentioned and trying to put as much on them, and then he's going to start scaling it back, which we saw a little bit in the spring. You remember that, Chris, in the spring, even not even schematically, but tempo and energy, and they were pushing them uh, rigorously the first couple days, and they were planning to scale it back. Obviously, that that didn't happen, but that's what Norvell wants to do with his quarterbacks. Yeah, I think to some degree, that position, because it is such a super intense, stressful spot, you want to almost try to break the guy. At some point, you got to peel back, and it's got to be about focusing on what can they be good at, what can they do, what can help us succeed as a team. And I, I think Norvell even referenced that, that, you know, scrimmage one is about seeing how much I can handle of the whole, and scrimmage two will be more about what can we do that fits them to a degree. He sort of mm-hmm. said something along those lines. So I think that's certainly what we're seeing with the quarterbacks. I think that they feel comfortable with doing it to all of them the same exact way because in their viewpoint, it's not like, you know, Chubb is not a day 10 on campus guy. Well, Blackman has, you know, 900 days on campus in their world. In their world, Blackman has a little bit of a head start because he was here in the spring, but they're all learning the same new playbook. They're all learning the new same uh, terminology, the scheme. So they're kind of all working at the same speed with a little bit difference in the college game in the sense of experience, but they don't view the quarterbacks that way. I don't the way Norvell has consistently spoken about his quarterbacks and Kenny echoes it because those two have the same brain and two different bodies is that those guys are all on the same page in the sense of where they're supposed to be at with this offense right now. I thought that was interesting just to go off Chris's point real quick that, that Norvell actually came out and said that directly today that 
I'm going to paraphrase, but that the young guys aren't that far behind with the veterans based on just there not being a spring in terms of learning the playbook. So that was one of the revelations that was interesting at the quarterback position. Uh, I thought it was interesting that at least for the scrimmages, he's not going to put the green jersey on the freshman quarterbacks. He's going to let them be physical and kind of figure things out and get used to that aspect of the game. Uh, so, yeah, there is a few few tidbits that, that Norvell sprinkled in there to kind of reveal how he works with that position specifically. That was interesting to me. All right. Now we're going to keep it moving. I want to get into the scorp, scoop portion of this special edition on the bench podcast. But first I want to tell you about our man, Dan Garland of Evershore financial. Dan is an FSU fan and a fan of the show. He's sponsoring on the bench and Brendan, tell us more about Evershore Financial can do for our listeners. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated, 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. And we're back. We've been talking to some sources, still working it. Uh, The scrimmage is only about two hours concluded, but we do have some things that I think you'll be interested in hearing. Brendan, you want to tell the listeners what we've we've gathered? Sure. Let's get this out uh, up front. This is all secondhand, right? We're not able to watch the scrimmages, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, What people like to call this lying season. I mean, I trust the people who we're speaking with are – telling us what they're seeing with their eyes. So I don't think there's any exaggerations here, but but I just want to get that. This isn't something I'm seeing myself. Let's go down the list, all right? Quarterbacks. I heard that James Blackman was, if some people aren't going to like this, but this is consistent with what we've heard to this point, is that James Blackman was the most consistent quarterback that participated today. Uh, The bads weren't awful, there weren't any catastrophic errors and there were some really nice throws that he made throughout the day. I heard as the scrimmage went on, he got a little bit more decisive and, and was more willing to scramble. So it sounds like he did, did pretty well. Uh, again, this, this has been consistent with James for camp so far. I'm curious to see what happens when they go back into film and see if what he was doing with the reads that I don't have uh, Intel on, obviously on how he was executing the offense to I, I, Ideally, the way Kenny Dillingham and Mike Norvell want, but James Blackman did indeed uh, perform well. Tate Rotomaker throws a nice deep ball. We saw that in the spring. That was reflected again today. He had some nice shots downfield, especially the sideline. He's a big fan of the back shoulder fade. 
That's something he didn't throw a whole lot in high school. He's got a chance to do that at Florida State now, and he's really, really seeming to enjoy that. Heard he hit a couple uh, passes down the sideline today. So I think Tate is a pretty polished young quarterback. Uh, tough to fully gauge what he's doing behind a behind the second team offensive line. I've heard there's a pretty big discrepancy discrepancy between the, the first team offensive line and the second team offensive line. Chuba Purdy. Heard that he scored a touchdown early in uh, early in the day. They went into goal line, and Chuba Purdy's mobility came into play there. I think there's a picture of it on Seminoles.com, actually. So that's something that's noteworthy as well. Didn't hear a whole lot about him or Jordan Travis afterwards. Running back, sounds like it's a mixed bag. They're going to really be trying to utilize all of those guys. That's something that Norvell hinted at earlier here in the preseason. But I think you're going to see the freshmen like, like uh, Corey Wren and uh, Lawrence Toafili and Jakai Douglas, actually all three of them are going to be integrated into the offense in very different ways. They're going to be versatile pieces that are going to be complementary to Jay Sean Corbin. So the way that today worked out there is something that is something that we thought was going to transpire. That's that's how it's going to work out, it seems like. Uh, wide receiver, I'm trying to think. I didn't hear a whole lot on wide receivers. I think that group was still pretty thin at tight end. Cameron McDonald, I heard, looked really good, was very productive, got downfield, was athletic, caught the ball consistently. Wyatt Rector, uh, good blocker, is going to be someone who's going to be utilized, I think, in that role as an H-back type of type of blocker. So uh, that's something to to glean from that position. Offensive line, I thought the first team sounded like they did well today, but I'm not entirely sure how that group really worked totally Like in unison. seems like they're still trying to find the right five. On defense is where I can get into a little bit more detail. Joshua Kando, badass. We heard that he was starting to kind of come on. Seems like that was reflected today in the scrimmage. Got to the quarterback a few times. Jarvis Brownlee, like he just keeps coming. His name keeps coming up, but he was really productive. Someone who's continually feisty. Got a couple, uh, got his hand on the ball a couple times today. I don't think they came down with an interception, but sounded like he was all over the place. Travis Jay uh, mentioned him earlier as well. He, he sounded like he was explosive all throughout the, the day. A linebacker group, as advertised by Mike Norvell earlier today, like it was a physical group. And uh, I think they're actually like really deep there this year. I think that's something that we could take away from today. They like Emmett Rice. They like Leonard Warner, what those guys can do. Heard Kalen Deloach was running with the ones. Uh, and that means Amari Gaynor was with the twos. But I think that 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 was going to obviously be something to, to monitor throughout camp. But Amari Gaynor with the twos along with DJ Lundy, and Jaleel McRae and, uh, and Steven Dix. So those guys all kind of getting rotated in. It's a really good group in the defensive lines, dominant in general. You know what Robert Cooper's going to do. Uh, apparently he was really, really strong at the point of attack. Fabian Lovett got some good run as well today. He's as good as advertised and what he was supposed to be coming in from Mississippi State. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that's kind of just the rundown off the top of my head from what we got today. Uh, was that good, Josh? I can help a brother out. If All right. Yeah, please. Let me take a breath. Um, yeah. I mean, it to, was good. keep going to add a few points to what Sinone mentioned from other things we have been told. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the big offense plays, Lawrence Toa Philly turned in. I believe that was a running play. Mike Norvell referenced that Corey Wren had a nice reception today on the O line. It's not surprising to hear a mixed bag there when they're still talking about trying to find five when they want eight, that speaks to you that, you know, the first five is, Still a work in progress, a lot of cross training and trying to find those pieces. On the D-line, the Kando thing, that's been a consistent for us for a week in camp. Adam Fuller today talked about how much of a pro that guy is. 
just spoke about him having the right mentality, being a mature young individual, carries himself well on and off the field, just does everything you want a guy to do to be a leader. Uh, Fabian Lovett's a guy that I've heard consistently is doing better with each day of work with the group. Um, at linebacker, DJ Lundy, another guy that um, I believe it was Adam Fuller brought up specifically praising. Um, you know, he's a freshman. He's a little out of control trying to figure everything out. But physically, he's everything they want at the linebacker position. Oh, can I add they, to that, Chris, real quick? Is that yep. Lundy uh, heard there was a play today where he came flying off the edge where it was just uh, – complete havoc and creating chaos. And then he followed that up with, with a tackle for loss or stuff too, where he made a couple plays consecutive consecutively and started to heat up. I think that kind of shows the, the physical prowess that you mentioned and, and him gaining a little bit of confidence. That seems like someone who's going to be able to, to help out to some extent or another this season. They like him a lot. Yeah. And in the secondary, Travis Jay is working at safety as is Renardo green, Akeem Dents at corner, as he spoke about earlier in camp that continued today. We've not heard anything on Hampson Nazarene, but we don't believe he participated in the scrimmage tonight. Um, but, you know, we've asked about him in the past, or he's been asked about in the past with Mike Norvell, and they're not going to go into specifics on injuries with guys and such. But right now, Nas is not a guy that we believe is making any impact on the field for FSU. As FS, FSU was shorthanded. We don't need to get into details. FSU was fairly shorthanded today, and I think we can leave it at that. I'm um, trying to think. Yeah. Anything, anything else? Uh, oh, Darren Williamson. I did. I went over the wide receivers. Yes. Uh, he got some praise today. Heard he had a really nice athletic catch on the evening. Uh, again, that's a position group that's a little thin right now, but Jordan Young apparently was pretty productive. Tamar and Terry wasn't full go. Like, they let him go on early, and then they kind of scaled back because they kind of know what they got out of him, obviously. I think something similar with Marvin Wilson as well. That's why you didn't hear those guys' names a ton, but Tamar and Terry early on, you kind of just throw him in there. Reminds you, like, yeah, he's really good, and then you try to see what you have with some of the other guys. Anything else? Alex Mastermind apparently has a massive foot. He was spoken about by, I believe it was both Coach Norbell and – Special teams coordinator uh, John Papuchas both talked about him after practice, but we also heard. I'm sorry, after the scrimmage, we also heard that he was he was kicking the crap out of the ball. Um, that's yeah, not he, a surprise. An Australian type punter, you know, that's going to come. And then the kicking battle is something else that Papuchas referenced. Ryan Fitzgerald and Parker Grohouse are battling one another. Sounds like it's pretty even competition right now, but both have done a good job with handling those duties. Duties. Uh, I got the I I've got the idea that so yeah th- it's tough because it's, it's very much so an incomplete puzzle right now with guys not being full participants or having some missing pieces in there. Uh, but the young guys on offense are going to be factors. There's going to be a lot of uh, inexperienced players that are going to be relied on at various points of the season on that side of the ball on defense. Uh, other than freshmen, I, uh, at linebacker, I think it's going to primarily be Chris Metzger, some of the sophomores, some of the second-year players that kind of come up into depth roles a little bit. Like we mentioned, the Jarvis Brownlee, someone like that, or Renardo Green, uh, Kalen Deloach, guys who are going to take steps from year one to year two that are going to kind of finish off what the defense is supposed to look like. But uh, Yeah, jo- Josh Griffiths is another one to throw yeah, in the mix, too. He's going to help him at the end. Fuller specifically mentioned – He's mature enough. He's strong enough to give them some help at a position where they needed some help. So I think Griffiths is a guy they certainly feel comfortable with as a depth rotation player. And the defensive backs, he was kind of vague on the freshman defensive backs. That reflected on what we heard with the scrimmage. Uh, those guys have a little more work, more work to do. I think there's more confidence right now in, 
and what some of the more experienced players are bringing to that position group. Amico Dotson too was good today. All right. Yeah. How, how do you guys see with Fuller confirming that Travis J and Renardo Green are working at free safety and Akeem Dent is back at corner? What do you think that means for the secondary? What, what are we looking at? All right. So Asante Samuel, I think we feel confident at, at one field position. I thought mm-hmm. Miko Dotson was going to be the primary behind him, but now I'm not convinced that he's not at the other cornerback spot at the boundary side, along with Jerry and Jones when he's participating. I uh, have those two guys working at that spot, potentially newcomer with the Keem Dent too, maybe, although Keem's at field and Jarvis Brownlee. So those are your cornerbacks, right, Chris? I think mm-hmm. those are the primaries right now. And then if you want to take yeah. a second. Yeah, I think those are the primaries. I think Isaiah Bolden's also working at corner, but a little bit further down on depth chart. At yeah. safety, you got Travis J. You've got Bernardo Green at one spot. You've got Cyrus Fagan. I'm not 100% sure which spot he definitely figures into right now. Jaden Woodby is more your weak side safety, your buck, as they like to call it in this defense. I think he's currently your number one buck on this defense. Um um, I feel like I'm forgetting another person on the secondary. Obviously, we spoke about Nas and the fact that we don't believe he's healthy right now, so he doesn't factor into this discussion as much. But when he's healthy, he's a starting safety. There's also the mention of incoming freshman defensive end Josh Griffiths as having an impact. Um, we learned this week that you know, with Chapman and Briggs out, that it does look like Josh Griffiths is getting some run how do you think he factors into the defensive end position? I So I do not have any intel on how, how Josh Griffiths today. Chris mentioned earlier that Adam Fuller uh, does like Josh Griffiths, and that's one thing we have heard throughout not even just the preseason here, but in the offseason and going back to the spring. Griffiths is extremely uh, mature in the way he approaches the game. He's someone who really loves to study film. He's in the weight room a ton. You saw that where he gained about 20 pounds this offseason. He has the mullet, so you know he's all about business, at least in the front. (laughs) Uh, But he's someone who I think is going to factor in at defensive end. Chris, uh, help me out real quick. The name, he had two sacks today. Apparently, he looked really good. It was against the second-team offensive line, the Baylor transfer. He he flashed today. Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams. And and, uh, he's someone who's going to help add depth to that position as well to kind of make up for uh, losing some guys on the defensive line. So yeah, the depth on defense, man, it seems really, really impressive from what we're hearing. I know this is the time of year where we get really hyped up and excited, uh, but they have pieces to work with. And that's kind of what Adam Fuller discussed was, uh, you know, we're, we kind of figuring out where guys belong now. And now the depth chart, like, I feel like this is kind of like a shakeout week for them, both on offense and defense. It feels like defensively they have a good staff top to bottom. I mean, I, I think yeah. very highly of Fuller. I think he's very sharp. I think he's a guy that's very good at getting the people below him in line with his line of thinking while allowing them to have a voice at the same time, but they're on the same page. Um, I think Chris Merv is exactly what doctor ordered at linebacker in that position. You know, I've talked about before. I believe it's going to be a drastically improved segment for FSU, maybe the most improved segment for FSU this coming season. We know the secondary has plenty of talent. It's a matter of that talent actually being coached up, understanding what they need to do in the right pieces, being in the right spots. I think Marcus Woodson and Fuller combining their powers back there are doing a good job of that. And the D-line, especially on the inside, is extremely talented. On the outside, you got you know Joshua Kanda, who we all probably agree is one of the biggest swing pieces for this team. Mm-hmm. If he is as good as he's been through a week of preseason, 
they're a whole lot better at defensive end than we felt like they were, you know, a couple months ago. J-Rob's another guy that can factor into that. Griffiths adds depth to that. You're hoping a guy like Deontay Williams can maybe help you some there as a depth piece. Suddenly you're feeling a whole hell of a lot better about what you have at the end than what you felt like a few months ago. So it certainly feels like the strength of this team should be the defense, despite the fact that the head coach is such an offensive-minded guy. I'm not saying he neglects defense. I'm just saying his first love is offense. But it feels like this team's strength, at least out of the gates, probably going to be on the other side of all defense. All right. Let's take a break. And before we wrap up the show on the other side, we're going to talk about the Warren Thompson stuff and how that's played out since he put out the, the message on Instagram. And also Florida State picked up a big commitment today. We'll be right back. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to On the Bench. Were you expecting to hear Josh's voice? I don't think so. Sorry, guys. I know I made it awkward. All right, let's talk about Warren Thompson and that whole debacle. Last time we were all three together on the bench, Chris was reading Warren Thompson's Instagram post. Not much has happened since then, right? Uh, we, we, got, <laughs> we got the response that Mike Norvell had in his press conference after, his, after practice when he got a chance to almost like instantly, like we instantly reacted to Warren Thompson. Mike Norvell pretty much instantly reacted to that message uh, because he had a, a scheduled press conference immediately after practice and he must have uttered the word disappointed about six or seven times and mentioned that practice was voluntary. So let's start off from there, guys. Chris, I'm going to throw it to you. Well, no, you know, let's start off with the most basic thing. I'm going to ask Josh here. Warren Thompson right now, do we know if he's still on the team or not? Yes, he is still with the program. Um, we don't believe, you know, he participated in the scrimmage, but that's not an indication of his status with the program. Um, talk to some people that know Warren Thompson and I don't believe he has any intentions of leaving the program. Um, people can question, and I certainly have, the way he goes about communicating some of his thoughts as far as, you know, doing it so publicly. Um, but from what I'm told is, you know, Warren does want to play for Florida State and play this season. So I'm not sure how it's all going to get worked out, but at least as of uh, Saturday night when we're recording this, Warren Thompson is still with the program. A fluid situation, if probably there was one. All right, Chris. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, we played the podcast, or on the podcast, we played the Mike Norvell press conference for our audience here on, on the bench. Now that you got a chance to listen to it, though, react to it, uh, what was your response to Mike Norvell's response? How did you absorb all that? I thought the in-the-moment press conference that day, Thursday, uh, obviously it was kind of like a uh, – I'm having to deal with a situation well after just coaching my team on the field that I didn't know I was going to have to deal with immediately. I mean, he knew, but the processing of it was still, you know, in the infant stages. I thought he handled it fine. I thought he was very direct. I thought he did a good job of answering things as asked to the degree he was going to be willing to answer those things. I thought the Friday press conference was a better one. 
Um, and that's obviously what the ability to process things. How, I thought how, he could, how was it better in your mind? Just because he didn't say much or was direct? He was direct as hell and he put the fire out. I thought, I thought the 24 hours from when Warren posted his Instagram to when we spoke to Mike Norvell on Friday, I thought the most impressive thing as a whole, I feel like some people figured out who their foxhole buddies on this football team are. Mm -hmm. Um, we saw a lot of guys basically say, I disagree with that statement. We're good to go here. Let's focus on football. And I think that's a good thing. I thought Norvell's quote about me and my team are on the same page was indicative of that same point. I think it's a positive. I think guys have to understand that at some point they either need to buy in and trust the guy coaching them and the way it's going to operate or leap. And I think it's very cut and dry. I think Norvell's Friday comments were very cut and dry about that. I think he's made it clear he's willing to communicate with his guys. He's willing to be open with them. But, like, he's not here for second-guessing through the media. He, he's not about that life, and that's not how he's going to operate a program. I thought it was good that he was very direct about it. He didn't throw more fuel on the fire. Instead, he kind of put it out, and I, I think that's a good thing. I think that's something, you know, hydration gate comes to mind where mm -hmm. it was poorly done a year ago. And it reignited into an issue 24 hours after it could have been put to bed. I don't feel like that happened here. I think that's a positive for FSU. Now, obviously, stuff like that has to stop happening. It needs to stop being something that we deal with. The drama of idiotic things of that nature, where it's a back and forth on an internal situation, is not something that we really need to have in a public view as this program is trying to find its way under a new coaching staff. And I hope that the program, everybody involved in the program, top to the bottom, players and coaches and everybody else, understands that. And that's the way it operates going forward. This is a situation to me that I think needs nuance, uh, which shocking that I'm calling for nuance. But it seemed to me as we get pieces together that Norvell, and if I'm wrong on any of this, guys, please jump in and correct me. But Norvell's frustration primarily, in addition to it being public, like Chris said, seemed to be that he had a discussion about this with Warren Thompson the night before uh, this all went public. Uh, it seemed to be the same night that DJ Matthews announced that he had tested positive for COVID. Uh, and so that's kind of where it seemed to be. I think his frustration is that he thought he had talked about it. He had mentioned the day before for working backwards in the timeline on Tuesday. That was the day that we talked about in the last podcast. There was the dog and pony show with Governor DeSantis, FSU's administration, and and players, not all, but at least some seem to think that athletic director David Coburn misspoke when he discussed the frequency of COVID testing. His words, I believe, were we're testing every, we're, we're testing weekly now, now being uh, kind of the, where we're getting to semantics because now would mean campus started and they're testing weekly. Uh, some players were of the mindset that they hadn't been tested in a couple of weeks. That's where the disconnect occurs. That's where some got mad. They have a team meeting on Tuesday. I don't know to discuss that specifically, but that was discussed according to Mike Norvell, the press conference, the testing frequency, he talked about being transparent. And then it comes out that, you know, obviously some players don't think there's transparency. Some parents don't think there's transparency, but an overwhelming majority of the team does think there's transparency and are okay with the protocols. As also stemmed from Monday when DJ Matthews, uh, according to a couple of sources, uh, was apparently at a meeting while not feeling well. So I guess that kind of made some of the players, specifically the wide receiver room, feel uncomfortable with the protocol. Uh, I think Mike Norvell thought that was all addressed. Apparently, in some players' mind, it wasn't addressed to the 
point they would like it because then it became a public matter. So that's what got us all to this point. Is that a fair summary? I think so. I, I think it comes down to Norvell's tired of spats being played out on a public forum. That's not how he wants the program to operate. But I think the flip side of that is these players have to learn to trust the staff. And that's not easy to come by. That comes with time and that comes with buying in. And some will and some ne- probably never will. And that's just the matter of how programs work when they've been tumultuous for several years and had multiple coaching staff changes and things go on internally that make guys uneasy about you know buying in on the third guy or a fourth guy that they're either playing for at their position or as a head coach in multiple years. And that's just where the program is right now. But it has to, for things to be positive going forward, things like what happened earlier this week with a public Instagram post or something that could have been handled internally can't continue to happen. But I'm not trying to – I don't want to act like it's a bigger deal than it is. It's it's one player who had a specific issue that stemmed from another player getting sick and a few other individuals associated with players and tied to players and the players themselves seem to be on that page. But it seemed like the vast majority of players that spoke up we're not on that page. And that's what I took away from it more so than anything over the 24 hours it played out. Yeah, and if players are uncomfortable, like that's certainly prerogative. And um, yeah, I don't want to minimize that. Like if someone is feeling unsafe or uncomfortable, like they, they have the right to speak out. Again, I think where the disconnect comes is that the coach thought they spoke about it and had it covered. And then all of a sudden it's spilling over into the public. I think that's that's where the issue that's where Norvell seemed frustrated as far as I can tell. What do you think about all this, Josh? I think Warren Thompson's still on the, on the team. Yes. Um, (laughs) All right. We're going to wrap this up on a high note over. Well, in the morning on Saturday, Florida state landed a commitment from IMG Academy, three-star wide receiver Malik McLean. Um, He tweeted the news out in the morning with an edit. Uh, McLean is a six foot four, 195 pound wide receiver. Uh, He's the 64th ranked pass catcher in the country and the 415th best player overall. He is a three star on the composite, but 24-7 sports has him ranked a little bit higher than that. Um, I spoke to Malik McLean just after his commitment to FSU. He told me that he made the decision a couple days ago, informed the staff that he was committed, and uh, it just took him a couple days to get his edit together. <laughs> he said, I was like, oh, why'd you wait? He's like, I was just waiting on the picture. And he's like, I got it on Friday, but I just figured I'd put it all together on Saturday. So he commits. He told me that the primary reason he committed is his relationship with the coaching staff. Mainly Ron Dugans and Kenny Dillingham also speaks regularly with GA Marcus Davis. Um, He feels that the fit on offense is great. They run a similar offense at IMG to what he saw Norvell do at Memphis. And um, he's excited. He told me he's locked in right now. No other visit plans. Really, you can't go visit anywhere. uh, So there's nothing to worry about there. Um, Chris. What does FSU get in a player like Malik McLean? A big, tall outside receiver with really good speed. I would describe his speed as long speed. I feel like he's pretty good at being a little bit quick for as big of a frame as he has, but as he works down the field, he's kind of deceptively able to pull away from people. 
Um, you know, he's listed at 6'4", 195. I think those measurements are a little outdated. And being at IMG, I expect his body to develop better than your average high school prospect. But I like him a lot. He's a guy that's been on their radar. Well, hell, he's been on FSU's radar dating back to June of 2019 when they were originally offered. That was Willie Taggart and his staff. But Ron Dugan's obviously a carryover from the old staff to the new staff. And I, I think Malik McClain fits exactly, in, at least in my head, the kind of outside receiver that Mike Norbell seems to love and really desire in his offense. Mm-hmm. And that's what I took away from them landing the commitment. I didn't really feel like it. The commitment was to a degree, you know, timing was a little unexpected, but this wasn't a guy that came out of the blue. They've liked yeah. him. They've been heavily involved with him. We've reported about them talking to him very actively. So this is a guy they wanted. And this really sets them up for their three man receiver class him joining Josh Burrell, who's another outside big body type. And then a guy like Destin Pays on who you can move all around the field, but it's more of a slot type traditional. Yeah. And I'll have a I'll have a recap on what remains at the wide receiver board. It's really just Destin Pays on, but um that'll be up on Knowles 24-7 on Sunday. Uh Brandon, Florida but, State now has two wide receiver commitments. The other, like Chris said, Joshua Burrell out of South Carolina. You've done a breakdown on each. Um, what's the what's some of the similarities and some of the differences between the two? My God, I thought I'd never get asked to actually uh, talk about my breakdowns. They both are bigger guys. McLean, obviously, like Chris said, he's frame. He's six four and and probably has the frame to be two twenty one day. Like he's he's a big dude. Burrell's more already kind of I think reaching his peak physically. Of, of where he's at, but he's 6'2", what is he, like 200 pounds or so? Uh, that's kind of where the similarities end, though, is where they're both taller, big-body, outside receiver types. I look at McLean as more of a deep threat. He has 4'5", verified speed. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that maybe he runs out, but at 6'4", let's say he has 4'5", four, 4'6", four, speed. You see on his highlights, he's at least able to take the top off the defense fairly consistently. His ability to accelerate and hit the top speed quickly is really impressive to me. I think that's tough for someone who's usually in that 6'4", six, 6'3", six, range to be able to accelerate the way he does. Burrell, more of the possession type of guy. I know when we had talked about that, when he committed Josh, that you said he's a little bit more than that. And, and I don't think possession should be looked at as a pejorative term, though. Like, he's actually uh, – that means he's a good – blocker he's good sure-handed receiver means he's able to do the dirty work and make tough contested catches Uh, so you have two guys who I think are poised to be really good outside receivers with high upside if you add Destin Pazon to the mix as well who I think could do everything at a pretty high level including playing the slot he's like a mismatch machine like Chris said I think you have the makings of a really good wide receiver group for the future yeah Burrell was listed at 212 just to add that on to Simone's point his body's pretty well developed already at this point. I think McLean's a guy who we're going to see his body develop a lot in the next couple of months while he's working out at IMG, presuming they're able to do everything they hope to do there this season. Yeah. Uh, I like McLean for a couple of reasons. Just to add, like we mentioned, the speed. I like it. I like the quickness. I think the long speed is good. I love the frame. I think it can be developed. I also like that he tends to reach up and grab the ball in the air, which anytime you're tall, Make yourself as tall as possible. It's a mismatch for most cornerbacks. It's a simple thing, but there are some tall receivers in this world who just can't get that mentally, and he doesn't appear to be that on film. Yeah, it looks like his hands are, are – he's a big guy, so you assume he has big hands. We've not seen it in person, but you see him go and snag the ball in the air, and it just kind of disappears in his hands like he <laughs> golfs it. Did you like that? 
Yeah, and he he's a he came out of Daphne High School in Alabama before he went to IMG. He was a three sport guy. He played hoops, also ran track. That's always you know when you're putting together the profile of a guy, those are some of the ideas you like to see. High school competitive mm-hmm. program goes to an even more competitive program. Good athletic traits, plays multiple sports. Yeah, those those are all good things. Did he play football before this year? I asked because his yeah. highlights only had his junior year film, and that was it. Didn't go any deeper than that. I don't know about before his junior year. Um, I'm, I know he played last year. He played all of last year in Alabama, but I'm not sure prior to that. I don't know if he's a basketball convert or not. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're getting at. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Good show, guys. Good all night. right, let's get out of here. I hate no, all let's of you. Re- hold on, I want to recap one other thing. So, Oh, my God, it's midnight. Get out oh, of here. Relax. With the commitment, Florida State currently sits at number 21 overall. I think they were at 24 prior to the commitment, so sitting at yes. 21 overall in fourth in the ACC currently. Um, they have 15 total commitments. We expect them to take about 25. So we're, we're past the halfway point, but there's still plenty of spots still, still to be filled. Do you think they're still going to take a full 25 or do you think they're going to save some room for the transfer market? I feel like I think they're going to save they, some for the transfer, but I'm just saying like they, they, they can take a full 25. Yes. Yeah, they can take a full 25. I think that this pass off season is going to lead to them and other programs doing this, but leaving themselves a little more breathing room for taking more. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. All right. Thank you for tuning in to our instant impact on the bench scrimmage recap. Uh, go leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate those. If you guys can take a minute and figure out however to do that. Uh, for Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone, I am Josh Newberg. Thank you. Instant impact reaction podcast. Could be the headline. Instant. No, I said instant impact on the bench scrimmage recap. What is Snow's cracking at this point? Is, is there too many words? <laughs> <laughs>